Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Thank you for joining us. Happy Friday to everyone. We made it. TGIF. Let me know what your plans are this Friday in the comment section so, again, I can live vicariously through your much more interesting lives. So today, we're not going to take any calls today, but we're going to break down the Kyle Rittenhouse case because a lot happened yesterday. A lot happened yesterday that really needs to be talked about. The prosecution's case against Kyle Rittenhouse essentially fell apart. What you need to understand is this trial never should have been allowed to happen. Kyle Rittenhouse always affirmed that he did what he did in self-defense. He always made that claim. It's the prosecution's job to disprove that claim, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did not have reasonable fear for his life or reasonable, reasonable fear that he would be seriously injured that night when he killed two people and injured a third. The prosecution is not making that case. The prosecution is failing miserably. And I want to show you a screenshot just from yesterday. Now, this was taken when the jurors were not in the room. Obviously, you don't smile like this when the jurors are in the room. But this is what the defense team looked like yesterday. All smiles. It went very well for Kyle Rittenhouse and his defense yesterday. And I want to talk a little bit about why the prosecution's case is completely falling apart. As I said, it is the prosecution's job to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Kyle Rittenhouse did not have the privilege to defend himself with a firearm. Basically, they have to prove that it was unreasonable for Kyle Rittenhouse to have believed he was in fear of death or serious bodily injury, or that he didn't actually believe it. Those are the two things, right? They can get him on the subjective belief that he was in fear for his life or afraid of being injured, or they can get him on the reasonableness side that it wasn't reasonable for him to believe that. You can see a little bit through the testimony what they're trying to get at. The prosecutor over and over and over again keeps asking these witnesses, did Rosenbaum have a gun? Did he have a knife? Did he have a bat? Did he have a club? Trying to create the illusion that because Rosenbaum didn't have any deadly weapon in his hands at that moment that he did not pose a threat. But that's not the way the law works, right? You can kill someone with your fists. You can kill someone with your bare hands. It happens all the time. You can also cause serious bodily injury with your hands. And as we covered on the show a couple days ago, when the other witnesses were testifying that there was, it was not just Rosenbaum chasing him into that parking lot. There was also another, uh, the rest of the crowd moving in on him as well. You, you can credibly, reasonably fear for your life when there's one attacker with a bunch of other ones coming in to help. When you know you're outnumbered. So they're trying to make this argument that because Rosenbaum was shirtless and didn't have a, what the state defines as a predefined deadly weapon, Wisconsin has statutes just like every other state that deals with what constitutes a deadly weapon. There are always exceptions for that. Like you can carry a knife when you're doing yard work, right? Or when you're, when you're bushwhacking or whatever you do in, in Wisconsin, 
right? There, there are there are always exceptions. You can carry a concealed weapon when you are licensed or, or permitted, or in a state that has constitutional carry, you can carry it for no reason. As the defense argues, that is one of those exceptions for Rittenhouse. The state law allows for 16 and 17 year olds to carry rifles in public. Now, the prosecution claims that that was only added to the statute for hunting, but the statute doesn't actually say it's limited to hunting. So maybe that's a mistake from the legislature. Either way, there are always exceptions. And just because something isn't explicitly listed as a deadly weapon in the statute doesn't mean doesn't mean that it isn't a deadly weapon. We showed footage a couple days a couple days ago of Rosenbaum twirling a chain over his head. A chain can be treated as a deadly weapon. We can see on footage. Um, we're not going to show it again. We've shown it so much. When Rosenbaum chases Rittenhouse into that parking lot, someone can be seen throwing something at them. We don't know what that was. Early, early beliefs were it might have been some kind of projectile. Maybe it was nothing. But we also know that Rittenhouse, as he was being chased into the parking lot, heard a gunshot because one of Rosenbaum, the attacker, the assailant, one of his friends, fired a shot. So you can understand Rittenhouse running away from this guy, who, as we'll hear from testimony in a second, had promised to kill him if he ever got him alone that night. That's going to be big. We're going to show that in a second. As Rittenhouse is running away from him, someone behind them all opens opens fire. Let's, let's lose the shot. Rittenhouse turns around, and as we will see from this testimony in a second as well, Rosenbaum lunged for the gun and shouted, F you. So just spoiler, there, there's some graphic language here. We're going to play it so you actually know what happened. We're not going to censor court proceedings. So this episode will be marked explicit on all of the audio podcast channels, which if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to all of the audio podcast channels. Those links are in the description. We're going to show you because it's important to talk about this. This is the prosecution's turn. Prosecution starts out, then the defense gets to call their witnesses. These are prosecution witnesses. These are their star witnesses. These are the men who are there, who the prosecution believes have the best chance of making their case. Their case being that Kyle Rittenhouse had no legitimate, reasonable right to use self-defense. He was not privileged to use lethal self-defense in that moment. And these witnesses are doing exactly the opposite. They are reiterating that Kyle Rittenhouse had every right. They are, they are supporting Rittenhouse's claim of self-defense. Defense. So I want to play a couple of these. This first witness, you can hear, you can watch the prosecutor. The prosecutor is the one with with the more of the uh, the facial hair. He looks a little bit more squirrely. The prosecutor is trying to get. Well, first of all, the prosecutor is treating his own witness as a hostile witness. Which, he, when that happens, when the prosecutor calls someone to the stand this early in a trial and they start treating them as a hostile witness, you know it's not going well for them, right? He starts trying to badger the witness and get the witness to admit that he couldn't possibly have known that Rosenbaum meant to do Rittenhouse harm. But here is what the videographer from the Daily Caller had to say. We'll go ahead and play cut number one. And you've already established that after the shooting, Mr. Rosenbaum never says a word, correct? Correct. You don't know, as you sit here today, what Mr. Rosenbaum was thinking, do you? You mean at the time of the shooting? Yes. Or at any point in his life. I mean, you have no idea what Mr. Rosenbaum was ever thinking at any point in his life. You have never been inside his head. You never met him before. You don't know. I've, I've never even, I've never exchanged words with him, if that's what your question is. So your interpretation of what he was trying to do or what he was intending to do or anything along those lines is complete guesswork. 
isn't it? Um, well, he said, fuck you, and then he reached for the weapon. Okay. Let's talk about that. At that very moment, you... So, we're going to play that again. The prosecutor is trying to basically impugn the witness's testimony and argue that the witness couldn't possibly get inside of Rosenbaum's head and presume what his intentions were when he, he being, unbeknownst to everyone at the time, a convicted child abuser chasing a child into a parking lot late at night. He couldn't have possibly known that. Ironically, the prosecution is trying to do the inverse to Rittenhouse. They're trying to claim that Rittenhouse, they're trying to get inside of Rittenhouse's head and claim that he didn't have reasonable fear of being killed or seriously injured. So you can see how he's already trying to basically discredit his own witness. He called this witness to the stand and he's discrediting his testimony, trying to poke holes in his own witness's testimony. I want to play the end of that one more time so you can hear just how south it goes for the prosecution. Your interpretation of what he was trying to do or what he was intending to do or anything along those lines is complete guesswork, isn't it? Um, well, he said, fuck you, and then he reached for the weapon. He said, F you, and then he reached for the weapon. You don't need a psychi psychology or psychiatry degree to get inside of that kind of head. When someone screams F you and then lunges for a weapon, you know what they intend to do. You know what they intend to do. So the defense, obviously, the defense is, is basically letting the prosecution dig their own hole and really only using their, their rebuttals, right, to reinforce what the prosecution just got the witness to admit. So here is Kyle Rittenhouse's own attorney reinforcing that notion that he screamed F you before he lunged for the weapon. You know, as you sit here today, that he yelled the words F you, but the whole words, correct? Yes. Okay. What was the tone of his voice as he yelled that? Very angry. As he goes at Kyle Rittenhouse, correct? Correct. Richie McGinnis, a critical witness in the murder trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, said on Thursday that one of the men shot during protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin last year, cursed and lunged for the defendant's military-style rifle before he fired. Well, I was behind uh, Mr. Rosenbaum and... McGinnis, chief video director of The Daily Caller, who was recording video in Kenosha in August 2020, could help bolster the defense's argument that Rittenhouse, yeah. then 17, feared for his life. You think? Of course he's going to bolster Rittenhouse's defense. He literally just went up there, and, and this is how you know the prosecution's having a bad time of this. This is their witness. Not exactly their star witness, but it's one of the first ones that they've called. And they're already trying to call the witness a liar or to impugn his testimony or to claim that he doesn't have the authority to get inside someone's head and make a statement like that. They're treating their own witnesses as if they're a hostile witness. So obviously that was the videographer from the Daily Caller, McGinnis. There were other people, though, that the prosecution called who, again, hurt their case. This is one of the other men who, were, who was there, armed to basically prevent loss of life or loss of property, admitting under oath, testifying under oath, that Rosenbaum, before the shooting, had gone up to him and Kyle Rittenhouse and told them both that if he ever got them alone that night, he was going to kill them. I'll say that again. 
This is a prosecution witness testifying under oath that he heard Rosenbaum threaten to kill, among others, Rittenhouse if he ever got them alone that night. And as the prosecution tries to unravel that and impugn that testimony, he again admits that no, Rittenhouse was there. He heard that threat. Let's go ahead and play this clip, cut number four. You got in between him and Dustin Collette, between Mr. Rosenbaum and Dustin Collette. Was the defendant present for that? Uh, it immediately preceded him threatening me and Kyle Rittenhouse. So was the defendant present for that? Yes. Tell us about that. Um, Colette had stopped him from putting something, starting something on fire. There's a video of it. And um, Dustin Colette said something to the effect of fuck around and find out. And I stepped in and told everybody, hey, chill out, calm down, stop doing that. I turned and had an exchange with one of the protesters. And I kind of explained to that protester, hey, you know, I get it, get what you're trying to do, but like not this and when I turned around Rosenbaum was right there in front of my face yelling and screaming and I would say dude back up just chill I don't know what your problem is and he goes you know if I catch any of you guys alone tonight I'm gonna fucking kill you and he said that to you correct did he say that to the defendant as well the defendant was there so yes (laughs) so yes He said it to the defendant as well because the defendant was there. So, yes. Again, this is a prosecution witness. This is a witness that the prosecution is bringing on to try and prove, again, two things. That it was unreasonable for Kyle Rittenhouse to believe that Rosenbaum meant to do him harm or to kill him. and Or that, that Rittenhouse didn't actually believe it. And here they brought on a witness who testified under oath... That before the shooting, Rosenbaum literally threatened to kill, among other people in the group, Rittenhouse, if he ever got them alone that night. So when you hear that testimony, again, out of the prosecution's own witness, you can build the case. It it bolsters the self-defense case because when Rittenhouse was running away from Rosenbaum, this testimony now confirms he had a prior altercation with Rosenbaum at night. As we had shown on video, we've had other video of it, where where Rosenbaum is unhinged. He's shouting the N-word, urging people to shoot him at another gas station earlier in the night, other footage. This confirms that Rittenhouse heard an actual verbal threat from Rosenbaum to kill him if he ever got him alone. So when Rittenhouse was being chased later that night by Rosenbaum, chased into a parking lot, cornered amongst parked cars, turns around, hears a gunshot, turns around and sees Rosenbaum lunging for his weapon and screaming F you at him, that previous threat all of a sudden is realized. He has taken the words and turned them into actions. And in that moment, as we've claimed all along, Kyle Rittenhouse had every legal right to defend himself. As we've covered on the podcast already, even if he was committing a crime by illegal possession, Wisconsin statutes allow for people committing a crime to defend their, themselves against death or serious bodily injury as long as they have tried everything they can to escape and can no longer do so. When you are committing a crime, that is the threshold for being allowed to defend yourself. Kyle Rittenhouse quite literally followed that to a T. And this testimony from one of the other witnesses who was there, again, a prosecution witness admitting 
admitting that Rosenbaum threatened to kill him if he ever got him alone, just blows a hole right in the prosecution case. It was already as flimsy as can be, but this should really be the final nail in the coffin. Unfortunately, they're allowed to keep making their case. It's going to be up for the jury to decide, as we'll see in a little bit. CNN and Court TV have very different interpretations of how yesterday went. They're still trying to push this narrative that Kyle Rittenhouse is a murderer. So the defense, obviously, hearing this, bolstering their case, they want to just keep going. They want to keep getting this witness to talk. Going to play that in a minute, but first I want to remind you, this podcast is sponsored by Air Med Care Network, the premier insurance plan to cover you and your household should any of you suffer a medical emergency. It starts at just $85 a year. And when you buy it, it covers your entire household, you, your spouse, your children. And if any of you ever need to be airlifted, you won't pay one penny for that flight as long as you're flown by an AMCM provider. And don't worry, they fly over 100,000 patients a year. So go to the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily. And when you use promo code daily, they're going to give you up to $50 back in the form of an e-gift card. It's free money. So again, go to airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. So let's play the defense cross-examination of this witness. Again, this witness who admitted that Rosenbaum had threatened to kill Kyle if he ever got him alone that night. Let's go ahead and play cut number five. And you and my client were present when Mr. Rosenbaum threatened you and Kyle, correct? Correct. And he specifically said if he got either of you alone, he would expletive kill you. That's correct. Any doubt about that? No doubt about that at all. Told the FBI that? Yes. And that was right after, um, I'm going to get his name wrong, Dustin had put out dumpster fire? Correct. It was about 20 to 30 minutes before we headed south and the shooting started. Again, confirming that Rosenbaum threatened to kill Kyle Rittenhouse if he ever got him alone that night. Well, we know that they did get Kyle Rittenhouse alone that night. As Rittenhouse was, was trying to treat anyone who had any injuries, as Rittenhouse was trying to put out fires, Rosenbaum and a couple of his friends tried to corner Rittenhouse by hiding behind a parked car and springing out when he walked by. We played the footage before of, of Kyle Rittenhouse shouting, friendly, friendly, friendly. Again, the claim from the prosecutor is that Kyle Rittenhouse was the aggressor, that Kyle Rittenhouse was the one who broke the law. But what we see, especially using the footage that we played the other day from the FBI thermal aerial photo uh, photography, aerial video, you can see that Rittenhouse, after he gets jumped by Rosenbaum and his friends, after he gets jumped, he's screaming, friendly, friendly, friendly. Someone who is trying to de-escalate a situation by letting people know that he's actually on their side. Friendly, friendly, friendly. Again, it makes no sense to charge them with murder. To uh, presume that they are the aggressor. And the prosecution has not made that case. They will not make that case. They cannot make that case. The evidence is as clear as it possibly can be. Kyle Rittenhouse defended himself. He only defended himself when it was absolutely necessary. He only shot Rosenbaum when he got chased into a bunch of cars, had nowhere to go, and he was lunging at him, screaming F you, and trying to grab the rifle. He only shot Grosskreutz, or whatever, however you pronounce his name, after he approached him with a gun, pretended to surrender, and then lunged towards him again. 
he only shot the skateboarder in the crotch when the skateboarder hit him in the head with a skateboard. And you know what's crazy? I didn't know this. I found this out yesterday researching this. Kyle Rittenhouse, prior to this night, had only gone shooting once. I will say that again. According to the reports, I can't believe it. But according to the reports, Kyle Rittenhouse only went shooting once with an AR-15. And almost every shot hit its mark. I mean, a couple of the shots missed, but it's not like they were like errant shots. He hit his mark. He exercised tremendous trigger discipline. He understood the law. He followed it to a T. He called the police after he shot Rosenbaum. He called 911 saying there was a shooting and only ran away. Only ran away when the mob started descending on him. Tried to get away. Got sucker punched, fell to the ground, and shot his attackers. It is the most clear-cut case of self-defense I have ever seen. And yet he is still being prosecuted. He is still being prosecuted. It is, it is a travesty of the highest proportions. Another witness that the prosecution called. They just keep doing this. They just keep doing this to themselves. They can't help it. Another witness was one of the men that Kyle Rittenhouse called that night. He called him after shooting Rosenbaum. And the prosecution was hoping that this witness would help their case. Except what, the, what this witness actually did was testifying to oath that Kyle, when calling him, professed to him in real time that he had to do it because it was self-defense. Now, does that prove anything? No. People can commit a crime, call someone, and say, oh, I had to do it. It was self-defense. And that doesn't, all of a sudden, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. But in a trial, when the prosecution is trying to impugn the integrity of witnesses and to claim that they couldn't possibly have gotten in anyone's head at the time to understand their motivations, to have a witness from the stand actually testify that he immediately afterwards talked to Kyle Rittenhouse and he confirmed he had no choice, he had to fire because it was self-defense, that carries weight. Again, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, but it's contemporaneous test, uh, testimony. It's, it's contemporaneous. This happened at the time. It's not after Kyle Rittenhouse went home, talked to a lawyer, and got his story straight. It happened in the moment when tensions were high, when adrenaline was high. There's testimony that even in that moment, Kyle Rittenhouse understood this was self-defense, and that is what he believed at the time. Again, this whole case revolves around two basic concepts. One, was Kyle Rittenhouse actually afraid of being hurt or killed? Two, was it reasonable for him to feel that way? Again, if they can poke holes in either or, that's how they get a conviction. If, if they do not poke those holes, right? I, at this point, I don't see how Kyle Rittenhouse takes the stand. I know lots of people have been questioning whether he'll take the stand, whether he needs to. If this keeps going the way it's been going, I don't see how he could possibly go on the stand. Obviously, the truth it will set you free, all that. But there's serious risk of putting him on stand being cross-examined by prosecution. He could go to prison for the rest of his life by slipping up under cross-examination. At this point, if the prosecution keeps making the defense's case for them day after day after day, and they don't chip away at the self-defense argument, there's really no reason to put Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand. Right? You are innocent until proven guilty is up to the state to prove that he killed someone without legitimately reasonably fearing for his life. So yeah, if I was an attorney, which I'm not, I just play one on TV. If I was his attorney, I would absolutely recommend that he not testify. It's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. Let the witnesses make the case for you. Let the use of force experts make the case for you. 
and let the prosecution poke holes in their own case. Don't risk it. Don't risk it. So here is that here is that witness that I was just leading. I almost forgot to play it. Here is that witness witness saying that Kyle called him in the moment and told him it was self-defense. Let's play cut number six. It's hard to hear because he's not really hasn't moved the mic yet. I'm not going to turn it up because I think it's going to get a lot louder in a second. You said you saw the defendant heading down and then uh, you heard some gunshots. What is the next thing you remember about the defendant after that? Um, I didn't believe the gunshots were actually his until I got a phone call. And uh, I answered it and he just said I shot somebody, I shot somebody, and then hung up right away. When did you see him next after that? I want to say just a few minutes right after that. Was that back at 59th Street? Yeah, that was at the original location. What observations, if any, did you make about the defendant when you saw him? He was freaking out. He was really scared. He was pale, sweating a lot. Um, you could tell he was just scared. Did he say anything? He wasn't really talking. He just said he had to do it. It was self-defense. He, he was, people were trying to hurt him. Did he ever say to you hmm. that someone was trying to attack him with a gun? No. Here Did he, he ever say to you that someone was trying to attack him with a knife? No. Here he goes. Did he ever say to you that anyone was trying to attack him with any sort of weapon? No. Uh, we kind of all tried to calm him down. There were some people yelling. But uh, we kind of made the idea that he should turn himself in, but we couldn't do it in the one in Kenosha because there's people rioting at the front doors. <laughs> so I took him home, and then we decided he should go turn himself in at the nearest uh, police department. So, right there. I mean, you can see what the prosecution is trying to do. The prosecution, it, listen, when this happened, Kyle Rittenhouse was 17 years old. I presume that he is now at least 18 because this happened over a year ago. He was 17 years old. This prosecutor is attempting, he's attempting to make out Kyle Rittenhouse's angst, right? He was in shock. A 17-year-old kid just got chased into a parking lot by a man who we now know was a child abuser, convicted child abuser, got chased into a parking lot. He tried to kill him and he had to defend himself. So he's in what's called shock. Even, even the most heavily trained warfighters can go into shock when they're attacked and forced to defend themselves. Obviously, the military, special forces, they try and train that out of you, but it's not possible. Eventually, it, it, it hits home. So he's going through shock and the prosecutor is trying to paint his shock of having to defend himself as if it's some kind of admission of guilt. That when someone has to deploy their weapon to, to defend their life, that they aren't anxious about it. They're not nervous about it. They're not scared. They're not freaked out. Their blood pressure is not up. That's what the prosecutor is trying to convince the jury of. It's shameful. It's shameful. Imagine if there was a similar situation. Imagine if there was a 17-year-old kid left home alone. Left home alone. Someone breaks in and tries to kill them. They run up, grab the gun from, from the nightstand, and shoot the assailant dead. Imagine a prosecutor trying to grill the child because the child was in shock afterwards. That is ultimately the question in this case. Whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse should have been there. And me and Joe disagree on this. I don't think that Rittenhouse should have had to be there. I think we should live in a world where 17-year-olds don't have to walk the streets and actually defend 
the community from riots, looting, arson. He shouldn't have had to be there. Now, he was there, so you can't go back and change time. He was there. Now, the prosecution is going to argue that he, that was illegal. They're going to say he crossed state lines. He's going to do all that. But he was there. The question is, did he have the right to defend himself? And you notice that the prosecution has not once chipped away at that basic premise. Because he can't. How can you possibly say that a 17-year-old kid being chased by someone who screamed F you, who previously threatened to, to kill him if he ever got him alone, whose friend fired a shot in their direction, who then screamed F you, lunged and tried and grabbed the gun, how can you possibly claim that there was no self-defense privilege there? It's absurd. This is, a, this is an insult. And what really makes this so insulting and so unbearable for gun owners, as I've said, is we've all, if you've taken a concealed carry class, they run through the law with you. I've taken now three different concealed carry classes, three different states, Utah, um, Colorado, and Texas. Actually, I never actually ended up filing my Texas one. And wh why do it, right? My Utah one gives me reciprocity around the country. And Texas now allows me to carry without a concealed weapons permit. So it didn't really seem worth it to, to pay that money to get it. Maybe I will one day. But in the class, they run through self-defense scenarios with you. They explain what, what you can do, what you can do, when you can do it, when you cannot use deadly force. Every state's different, right? And even if you cross state lines with a gun, it's up to you to know the state the laws of the state that you're visiting. Kyle did not break that law. Even if they get him on the possession, it's a misdemeanor. Even if they get him on the possession, which I don't think they will, because the way the statute's actually written, it allows him to possess a gun. And, and in this moment, the extenuating circumstances of it, even if it's illegal for a kid to have a gun, in the situation I just talked about, a robber breaks into your house and, and tries to kill your kid when you leave him home alone, even if, even if it's illegal for the kid to possess the gun, in those extenuating circumstances, the kid's allowed to defend themselves, right? Even felons, felons are not allowed to possess weapons, right? That's it's very clear. Um, 18 USC section 922. I think that's it. I've, I've literally read that so much. I think it's 18 USC section 922. In there is the list of prohibited people. Even, even if felons, though, are not allowed to possess, purchase, sell, transport, ship, what, whatever, even if they're not allowed to possess a gun in the moment, if they are being attacked or their life is in jeopardy and there is a gun lying on the ground, even if they are not allowed to possess the gun, they are still legally allowed to pick that gun up and defend themselves with it because of the extenuating circumstances. Just because you're a felon does not mean your inherent right to self-defense disappears. Your possession, your right to possess a gun goes away. And that's why you'll see lots of people, strangely enough, lots of people who, who commit felonies or, or have violent misdemeanors, uh, like domestic abuse misdemeanors that could trigger um, them becoming a prohibited person, or they've been involuntarily discharged or uh, dishonorably discharged from the military and voluntarily admitted to a mental hospital, any of that kind of stuff. If they find themselves as a prohibited person, one of the things that people actually go back and do is they buy like muskets. They buy like cap and ball revolvers. Because as, as crazy as it is, the law that prohibits the possession of firearms, when you look at old technologies, whether it be muskets, muzzle loaders, um, cap and ball revolvers, things like that, they don't technically legally qualify as firearms. Now, you get into trouble when you possess the propellant, when you possess, possess the projectile. But technically, 
And obviously, I'm not a lawyer. Look at your state laws. They may have changed since the last time I looked. Technically, if you're a felon, you can still possess non-firearms. And any firearm that is built or manufactured before, I believe it's either 1899 or 1898, isn't technically a firearm because it uses obsolete technology. So a lot of felons will actually keep a cap and ball Navy revolver in in their nightstand. Now, also lots of felons don't care if, if they're not rehabilitated. But the ones who, who do care, they are rehabilitated. They want to still defend themselves. They'll go that route. So yeah, you still have, because you still have the right to defend yourself. Just because the, the federal government has limited what you can use to defend yourself does not mean that right goes away. And so in this case, whether or not Kyle Rittenhouse was legally allowed to possess the gun is irrelevant to the charge against him murder. It's irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. He had every right in that moment to fear for his life. He had every right to fear for that he was going to be seriously injured. It was reasonable for him to believe that given what the testimony we just played you shows that Rosenbaum threatened him just prior. It was reasonable. And that testimony from that last witness that that Rittenhouse immediately afterwards told him it was self-defense shows you in the moment, it's not, it's not airtight, but in the moment, Kyle Rittenhouse believed it was self-defense. The only thing that could possibly force Kyle Rittenhouse to take the stand is if the, the prosecution comes up with something suggesting that Rittenhouse joked or talked afterwards and told other people that it wasn't actually self-defense. If they can find something like that, which I don't think it's out there because he's he's been pretty solid in his claims. The only reason I could possibly see Rittenhouse taking the stand is if he has to bolster the 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 principle that he that he felt that he was afraid. But I, personally, I don't think he needs to do that. But again, we'll, it's going to be a long trial. We'll see. We're only, what, day four or five into this thing? We'll see. Up until this point, pretty clear that the prosecution has not even chipped away at the self-defense claim. They haven't even chipped away at it. And I want to show you this picture because this picture really made me laugh. This is a picture showing the prosecutor right as an objection of his had been overruled by the judge. So you can see on the top, on the top, he's surprised. The judge overruled it. And then literally the judge overrules. And you can see him on the bottom just, hmm, he's pouting. <laughs> I don't know. I, this was making the rounds on social media. I wanted to show this to you because it, it made me laugh. And yeah, this is obviously a very important case. It's very serious. We're going to walk through the case law and, and, and the developments in the case with you to explain what's going on. And it's very serious. But we have to also laugh when the ridiculousness exposes itself. Because as I showed you, even with Rittenhouse being on trial for his life, well, not his life, life in prison, when the jury's out of the room, even they have the ability to crack a smile. The reason they can do that is because the trial is going so well for them right now. The mainstream media, though, doesn't want to paint that picture. You see, they've painted the picture for months, over a year, that Kyle Rittenhouse is some domestic terrorist. He's some white supremacist. I mean, you have news outlets continuing to peddle the falsehood that Rittenhouse carried a weapon across state lines. It's just not true. We've known it wasn't true for almost a year, but these news outlets continue to promote this falsehood, which is why I think when Rittenhouse is acquitted, I usually would say if acquitted. Now I'm pretty confident when he's acquitted, he's going to be like Nicholas Sandman. He's going to go after these, these media outlets for everything they're worth because they quite literally have defamed and slandered him and continue to promote falsehoods that have been disproven time and time again. But I want to show you a couple of these clips from the media of how the media is presenting this. 
because they're trying to cling to that narrative. And yeah, sure, some of it, they're trying to straddle fence, play both sides, fine. But I just showed you the absolute highlights, the absolute highlights from yesterday's trial. Notice how few of them actually, a few of those clips actually make it in and notice what the media instead tries to highlight. Gonna play that in a second. Before I do, I want to remind you, go to our friends at LibertyCigars.com. LibertyCigars.com is a proud American company. Yeah, the tobacco is, and the cigars are imported. You want to have imported tobacco. You don't want to smoke a cigar with American tobacco. I I mean, I guess you could, but uh, obviously Cubans are illegal, but Dominican, Nicaraguan, right? Uh, Even Brazilian tobacco is excellent. So they're imported cigars, but the packaging is 100% made in the United States. It's an American company. It's an American cigar company. So you want to head over there because they sell entire lines of historically themed cigars. So you're going to find cigars that are named after presidents, find cigars that are named after heroes of the Revolutionary War, right? American heroes, American icons. You're going to learn a little bit about history as you do it. So it's a great gift for anyone who enjoys a quality smoke and also loves history at the same time. So head over to our friends at LibertyCigars.com and use promo code BEFREE, B-E-F-R-E-E. And as a bonus, when you spend over $76, they're going to give you a free Patrick Henry cigar on top. No charge. So again, go to LibertyCigars.com and use promo code BEFREE, B-E-F-R-E-E, to get a free cigar added on top of all orders over $76. So let's play. First, I want to play from Court TV because Court TV... Actually, it was pretty fair, but Court TV interpreted a little differently. They took the the uh, Daily Caller videographer's testimony to actually support one of the charges against Rittenhouse, that reckless endangerment because he was in the area when the shot rang out. It's a ridiculous charge because when you are being when you are being attacked, when someone's trying to kill you. You're allowed to shoot them. And obviously, you're not allowed to just indiscriminately fire. Kyle Rittenhouse didn't do that. He fired four shots. If one or two of them grazed him or missed, that's not reckless endangerment, right? Yes, one of the first rules, one of the rules of, of shooting gun is know your target and knows what's behind it. That's absolutely true. But when you are being shot at, when you are being shot at, when you are being attacked, you have the right to defend yourself. And obviously, you must reasonably do so in a manner that won't hurt, injure, or kill bystanders. Right. You can't just be attacked and, and shoot off a rocket launcher. Right. <laughs> can't do that. But four shots is not reckless endangerment. But Court TV seems to think that it is. Let's go ahead and play this cut number eight. Uh, tell me, Chanley, where we left off, it was getting really interesting with that witness, Richard McGinnis, uh, who McGinnis, took that was video uh, that was introduced and was doing reporting on this case. And the state called him. And then the state was getting upset with him clearly and not going so far as to ask the court to declare him as a hostile witness, but was certainly treating him as such the way he started asking him a lot of leading questions. Can you recap for us what exactly this was all about for viewers who may just be tuning in? um, Why is this witness so important and what was the state trying to get out of him in your view? Richard McGinnis is a huge witness for the prosecution and, like you said, the defense in this case. He's important because he's an eyewitness of the shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum. And he interviewed Kyle Rittenhouse moments before the mayhem ensued August 25th, 2020. He has it on video. He has his personal recollection and observations he's informing the jury about. And I have to say these jurors taking a lot of notes during McGinnis' testimony today 
Also, he's important, Julie, because he's the basis of count two against Kyle Rittenhouse, that reckless endangerment, because in the line of fire, according to the complaint in the information here, Richard McGinnis was in the line of fire when Kyle Rittenhouse shot Joseph Rosenbaum. So the jury could be a basing a convict a conviction possibly on this witness. And like you said, his testimony has been sort of a mixed bag. Let's play a part of it, though, where he talks about he actually a interviewed Kyle Rittenhouse the night of August 25th. And there's some interaction between the defendant and that individual. And then the defendant walks uh, across Sheridan Road. But you stayed. Yes. Why was that? Well, Kyle had told me you know, my goal going into these protest zones is to tell the full picture, or our goal. Um, and uh, after interviewing Kyle he, or Mr. Rittenhouse, uh, it was clear, you know, what he thought his mission was there. Um, but these individuals seemed to f think differently, and so I wanted to hear what their opinion was on the matter because that would be part of providing the complete picture. And the uh, individual in the yellow pants accused the defendant of pointing the, his AR-15 at that individual. Is that fair to say? Um, I believe he said, yes, yeah, something along the lines of you're waving the gun, you think you're in a movie. When you approached those individuals to speak with them, you took your, uh, was it your phone that you were yes, recording? Yes, yes. You took your phone and you, you stopped recording. You mm -hmm. pointed it to the ground and then after a while it stopped. Yeah. We've established you're a, a, a video uh, director for your website. Mm -hmm. uh, capturing video is one of the things you do. Mm -hmm. Why did you stop recording that interaction? There are four individuals there, and um, you can see in the video one of them had uh, large rocks in his hands. And, um, you know, it's a public street, so generally speaking, um, but, but just from a, the perspective of an ethical perspective as a journalist or somebody providing content, um, you generally want to get the permission of people if you want to conduct a, a proper interview. Um, so it, when I walked up to them, uh, one of the individuals who had these bricks in his hands stepped out on me like he was going to you know, smash my head. Uh, so I put my phone down and I told them, I'm not going to record. I just want to know why you guys are mad. I could see a lot of yelling, I could hear a lot of yelling, and I could see there was a crowd of people in the street, and... Alright, we're gonna cut it there. I wanted to play that just so you could see how Court TV is trying to paint this picture. Now, they admit that it's a bit of a mixed bag, that some of his testimony actually helps the defense instead of the prosecution, but notice that they aren't leading with what I just showed you, which is that, that, that McGinnis testified under oath that Rosenbaum lunged at Rittenhouse, screamed F you to him as he did it. Didn't play that. Didn't play that. They lead. They led with the other bit because they're talking about charge two, which is reckless endangerment. Now we've seen the video. We've seen the video. McGinnis was not in between Rittenhouse and Rosenbaum. He was very far away. So obviously with a rifle, that bullet can travel pretty far. But it's not like Rittenhouse was just shooting from the hip, firing wherever he wanted without any care for what he hit. He, he showed tremendous trigger discipline. He, he was only firing when he absolutely had to, and he only fired as much as he needed to to neutralize the threat. 
there was a part in it, we don't have the clip, where the prosecutor claimed that Rittenhouse shot Rosenbaum in the back. He's trying to make the argument, because one of the bullets did enter Rosenbaum's back, trying to make the argument that somehow Rosenbaum was on the ground and, and Kyle Rittenhouse just fired and, and executed him indiscriminately. And McGinnis was like, no, 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 he didn't fall, because that was what the prosecutor was claiming, that he was falling, and, and Kyle shot him while he was falling. McGinnis had to say over and over again, no, he was lunging. He was lunging for the gun. He wasn't falling. The prosecutor's like, well, don't you mean he's falling? Completely leading the witness. Badgering the witness to try and get the witness to say what he wanted him to say. But McGinnis kept saying, no, no, he, he was lunging. He was lunging for the gun. See, they're trying to make the claim that Kyle Rittenhouse executed this guy, shot him in the back, which does, it's not true. It's just not true. And I used to think that prosecutors were generally good people. I used to a long time ago, right? They're no better than anyone else. They're still scumbags in prosecutors' offices. It's like when the left says, trust the science, trust scientists. Scientists are not the, the philosopher kings in, from Plato's Republic that are just the smartest among us and they have the right to, to set rules for us because they are just wiser. No, the prosecutors aren't any better than the average person. There's a lot of scumbags in, in, a, in district attorney's office around the country. I used to think the prosecutors were generally good people. And I used to think that the truth would win out. But what we see here is that's definitely not the case. The fact that they are still prosecuting this case and they are not attempting to withdraw the charges after those witnesses just basically proved self-defense is disgusting. So it wouldn't be a report on media reaction without playing a little bit of CNN. CNN, for, for CNN, this was pretty neutral, pretty both sides, but they're still trying to make this claim that Kyle Rittenhouse is the bad guy. Let's go ahead and watch a little bit of this and we'll react to it. You can all be seated. Everybody can be seated. A third day of testimony in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse focused on how the shooting began the night of August 25th, 2020, starting with the killing of Joseph Rosenbaum one of two killed by Rittenhouse that night. I do. Richie McGinnis, video director from the website The Daily Caller, was the fifth Notice witness what they called play. by prosecutors they actually do a decent trial, job. who emphasized Rosenbaum was unarmed. Did you oh. ever see a weapon on Mr. Rosenbaum? I did not. Never saw a gun on Mr. Rosenbaum? I did not. Oh my Never goodness. saw him have a knife? Nope. Never saw him have a club or a bat or a chain or anything like that? I just saw the, the bag that was thrown, that was it. Prosecutor oh Thomas goodness. Binger took jurors to the moment of the shooting. I realized that Mr. Rosenbaum was continuing to advance and that uh, Mr. Rittenhouse uh, was standing still based on Mr. Rosenbaum's, uh, the way that he was running and, and then eventually lunging towards the front portion of the rifle. Um, it was clear to me that something with the weapon was about to happen and I didn't want to be on the wrong side of that. Rosenbaum was. McGinnis was on the scene that night documenting the unrest you hear this? and even spoke to Rittenhouse before shots were fired. There's somebody hurt. I'm running into harm's way. Not long after, Flip over real quick. he was forced to render emergency aid. I was under his right uh, shoulder. Um, there was another individual under his left shoulder. And then there were uh, maybe one or two people uh, carrying his legs. And I was just telling him that we're going to have a beer together afterwards and it was all going to be okay. It seemed that his eye was looking at me, but it was kind of rolling back. And then when I started talking, it rolled back kind of towards me. And I was looking at him um, 
So I, I, I'm not sure if he heard me, but I think perhaps he did. Did he say anything? No. During cross-examination, He's in a low position running. The defense focused on why Rosenbaum's pursuit of Rittenhouse continued. Could have stopped at any time once he sees an armed individual, correct? I assume he could have, yes. He kept advancing. Correct. And he continues to advance until he makes a lunge for the weapon, correct? Yes, it appeared that he was lunging for the front portion of the, of the weapon. Okay, which would be the business end of an AR-15. Yes. Trying to paint the picture that Rosenbaum was the aggressor as he lunged and Rittenhouse was defending himself. You know as you sit here today that he yelled the words F you, but the whole words, correct? Yes. Okay, what was the tone of his voice as he yelled that? Very angry. Rosenbaum's demeanor was the focus of the next witness called as he began his testimony, including one encounter in particular. He goes, you know what, if I catch any of you guys alone tonight, I'm gonna and kill you. And he said that to you? Correct. Did he say that to the defendant as well? No, the defendant was there, so yes. But words never became actions, as Ryan Balch, <laughs> who was with Rittenhouse never became night, actions. later laid out. Did you ever actually see Mr. Rosenbaum physically injure anyone that night? No. Wow. You had your Glock pistol on your hip, correct? That's correct. Did he ever reach for that? No. Did he ever touch that? No. Wow. Did he ever touch you? No. Omar Jimenez joins us now from Kenosha. The, the first witness mentioned in your piece, at, at one point he testified. All right, we're going to cut it because I want to show you what they chose to promote, what they chose to put out there. And obviously, we're only an hour show. We can't show you everything that goes on in an entire day's trial. I wanted to pick out the, the highlights for me. Which are which CNN actually played some of them. They played more of them than Court TV, surprisingly. But they're trying. You can see what they're what CNN's trying to do. They they the narrator, the voiceover said, says yes, he threatened to kill him, but those actions, those words never turned to action. We've seen the video of Rosenbaum chasing Rittenhouse into a parking lot late at night. We just heard the testimony that he lunged at him and tried to take away his re his weapon. To say that the words never turned to action, that is disgustingly wrong. I mean, to actually, someone at CNN watched the 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 uh, process, the the trial and came to that conclusion. Rosenbaum tried to kill Rittenhouse. Period. Full stop. Now, maybe he didn't. Maybe he was just trying to go in for a tickle fight. This guy does have a history of abusing children. Maybe he was going in for some weird shit. I don't know. But the whole point is not to try and be um, a psychic and to know for sure what Rosenbaum was doing. No, the point of this trial is to decide, as I said earlier, two things. Whether Kyle Rittenhouse believed he was going to be killed or seriously injured and whether it was reasonable for him to believe that. Those are the only two things on trial here. Unless the, the prosecutor can disprove one or both of them, Kyle Rittenhouse must be presumed innocent. He must be presumed innocent. And to hear CNN say, oh, but the words never turned into action. When there's literally testimony, literally video evidence showing Rosenbaum chasing him, giving chase. Rosenbaum definition, definitionally was an assailant, was an assailant to say that, that the words never, never gave way to action, never turned to action. It is shockingly just wrong.
And that is why I really recommend that you guys watch these trials on your own. Obviously, I wish I could watch them all. We're on the air a couple times a day. There's show prep that comes along with that. So I can't just sit at my computer and watch all day long. I wish I could. I have to kind of watch it. What I do is I watch it after the fact and I put it on two times speed so I can get through it and then I kind of skip over the, the recesses and things like that. But I highly recommend that you watch it because what we're going to see is we're going to see the media outlets try and paint a very specific picture. And in fairness, that's what I'm doing here, right? I, I vehemently believe that Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent, that he, he did not murder anyone. He was well within his rights, as we've covered extensively on the show, to deploy deadly force to protect himself against death or serious bodily injury. He was well within his rights. The difference between me and CNN is if the prosecution had actually landed blows, I would tell you that. If the prosecution had actually proven that Kyle Rittenhouse murdered someone, I would let you know. Because at the end of the day, this show is about providing you the truth. It just so happens that the truth has been what we've been saying all along. So we're going to tell you that. Fox News, I don't know if I trust Fox News anymore. Nope, I don't trust Fox News to tell me what's going on in this trial. Certainly don't trust CNN. Don't trust Court TV. Don't trust MSNBC. So stay tuned here. We're not going to be able to do this every day because there's other things going on. But I'm going to try and keep you up to date on what's going on in this case as much as I can. And yes, if the prosecution ends up landing a winning blow, we'll tell you about it. But right now, three, well, four days in, because it's going on today, four days into this trial, I have not heard a single bit of testimony that in any way, shape, or form chips away at the idea, the claim that Kyle Rittenhouse reasonably feared for his life. I have not heard a single bit of evidence. And unless the prosecution can make that claim, they will lose. And Kyle Rittenhouse will win. And when he wins, he will become a very rich man because the media has been slandering and defaming him for the past year. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. If you like this podcast, if you want to keep getting updates about the Rittenhouse trial, please do subscribe to the audio version. It's very easy. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbean, Audible, all great places. If you can, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Set it up to auto-download to your phone. And just listen. Listen when you're driving. Listen when you're, when you're going to work, driving home from work, when you're making dinner, right, doing yard work. Please do listen. Help us climb up in those rankings. If you can, give us a five-star review. It's very important. I, I know I say this all the time. It's, it's part of the, sh- the shtick, the spiel. But please do leave us a five re- five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We really do need the help to climb up in those rankings. We go live from 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Eastern, so make sure you tune in for that. And if you need a little help, you can text the word FREEDOM, F-R-E-E-D-O-M, to the number 89517. Why do we have that? Because big tech doesn't notify you when we're live. Facebook doesn't send notifications, right? If you put in your Google Calendar, they might not even tell you because Conservative Daily is bad. But if you sign up for our text alert system, we will send you a text before every show letting you know what we're talking about and, and the links for where, when, and how you can watch. So please do sign up for that text alert system if you haven't already. And check out all of our sponsors. I didn't mention it today, but Mike Lindell, American Patriot, he needs your help. So if you want to buy some MyPillow my products, please do use the promo code CD21, Charlie Delta 21 and you're going to get up to 66% off. It's the best promo code available. So not only will you be getting a great deal, helping Mike Lindell, helping MyPillow, helping their workers, we also get a small commission. So please do, if you're going to, if you're going to buy from MyPillow, please do use our promo code. That is in the description as well. That's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend. My name is Max McGuire. Remember that the fight to take back our country is not over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together.